Hello and welcome to this audio edition of the Ex-Mormon Files with host Earl Erskine. Thank you for joining us. On each episode of this program, Earl, a former LDS bishop, interviews a former Mormon guest about their journey out of Mormonism and into an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. These stories are encouraging, fascinating, and often moving. For more information on the Ex-Mormon Files internet video program, please visit exmormonfiles.com. That's exmormonfiles.com. And now, here's Earl. So I'm really thrilled to welcome Sandra Tanner. The other thing that I thought, and I think we mentioned it uh, earlier, was the fact that the Book of Mormon doesn't discuss three degrees of glory or really right. priesthood or temple rites and rituals, baptism for the dead. It certainly isn't what they'd call the fullness of the gospel. Right. Yeah. Right. I'd already dealt with the Book of Mormon teachings being different than Mormonism, but I was still thinking it was a historical document like the Bible that would yeah. be God's instruction to me. But when I went through this study of Lamb's book, uh, I had to face there was no historical reason Isn't to that kind of like a <laughs> slap yeah, in the face, yeah. isn't it? You just, oh dear. Oh, it makes you sick at your stomach. Yeah. So you made a little phrase to one of your other interviews that I thought was interesting. If you want me to read it, or do yeah. you remember what you said about the Book of Mormon? I don't remember what you referred You said, <laughs> the Book of Mormon brought me out of Mormonism. Yes, yeah. yes. Because that was kind of like the last bastion, yeah, last straw. Right. Huh? right. When I, uh, yes, at first Gerald was showing me the changes in the revelations, the changes in early doctrine. Then he showed me how the Bible and the Book of Mormon taught different than regular Mormonism did. Yeah. And that the Book of Mormon um, echoes <laughs> the Bible. It doesn't echo the Mormon view of uh, three degrees of glory, eternal progression, yeah. temple, marriage, priesthood, any of those things. Polygamy? Polygamy, it, none of those things In fact, it was denounced in, in right. plurality of gods and so on. Well, that's great. Um, I kind of following up here a little bit. Uh, who came up with the name? Well, back in, in 1963, from 1963 to 1983, what's going on? You're just producing we're, yeah. these we're set up. Yeah, we're set up as modern microfilm. We're just doing reprints. Well, we're also starting to do our own research. So we printed a lot of books like we did our uh, study of the changes in the Book of Mormon, 3,913 yeah. changes in the Book of Mormon. So Mormons will ask me, well, Mrs. Tanner, I just want to know, did you ever read the Book of Mormon? I said, yeah, I've read it in the first edition and the current <laughs> one, both, you know. Uh, we went through and did a study on the changes in the Pearl of Great Price. We did some on the Doctrine and Covenants and these different things we were writing up in books and pamphlets that we were selling through a little bookstore in our home. Yeah. And through the years, we never could sell enough to really keep our heads above water. Mm. We were always juggling mm. uh, who to, what bill to pay next. <laughs> and several friends persuaded us that, that we could get support for the ministry if we would go nonprofit, that there were people oh. that would want to support us in our research, but they would want a tax write-off if they were going to give any substantial amount. Sure. Now, we had already had some friends giving us donations, but they were couldn't just donating to a business, oh, you know, they couldn't write yeah. it off. Okay. So they finally convinced us that we needed to set up as a nonprofit. And it did make a difference. Then a lot of people did start making regular gifts oh. besides just our three friends. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in 1983. Right. So you came, be, became the... Utah Lighthouse Minister. Oh, okay. Who came up with that name? Well, it was kind of a committee thing. <laughs> 
uh, Gerald and I and the employees just sat around one day just hashing out, what do we call this thing? <laughs> and uh, we thought, well, we don't want to be too offensive in the title. Yeah. And so, but, but how would people know that it related to Mormonism if we don't use the word Mormon? So, mm -hmm. okay, Utah connects pretty good. People yeah. equate Utah with, <laughs> with Mormons. Mormons. Uh, but we don't want to say uh, anything <laughs> too outlandish. So anyways, right. we hit on lighthouse. Okay, we're a lighthouse trying to be light to a dark state. Yeah. And so we came up with Utah oh, Lighthouse. <laughs> interesting. Um, what, what, was you, what were you hoping to accomplish exactly, even in the microfilming and everything? Were you, you, just, you just had found these truths and you wanted to share them? Well, yes. Uh, we felt that the, the Mormons were being led astray and not being given the gospel of Christ. And we saw them as being emotionally and mentally trapped into Mormonism. So we felt that if we could hammer away or chop away, whatever <laughs> metaphor you want to use, at the base of Mormonism, that we could weaken the tree. And hopefully through that, we would be able to shake loose a lot of people that would come to Christ. And get them out of bondage. And get them yeah. out of that. Now, yeah. we had assumed that we weren't just the only ones going to do this, so that, that there would be Christians out there that would help them in nurturing yeah. former Mormons and getting them uh, established in churches and wow. Bible studies and, and carry the work forward. So it wasn't that we just saw ourselves as a lone ranger out there, but uh, we saw ourselves as part of the process yeah. that uh, some way we got to jolt these people into thinking. <laughs> Mormonism trains you to sort of turn off the analyzing part of your the mind. The thinking, yeah, right. Yeah. Just accepted by faith. And so we thought, well, okay, we need a jump start, reality check, <laughs> There's a problem with early Mormonism. You need to take another look. Yeah. And then hopefully we can encourage them to go back to the Bible, back to Christianity, make contact with Christian churches. And so we see ourselves today as in partnership with the other ministries in Utah, not as in competition. Right. We've never seen ourselves as co competing right. against the other ministries. Uh, it's a joint effort. We each uh, are able to reach different people through different audiences, different means, different approaches. Right. But it's all working towards the same goal. We want these people to come to faith in Christ. Well, I, I think sometimes in my thought process, I've kind of gone back, what would life be like in mm -hmm. 1819, say, mm -hmm. if Joseph Smith had never claimed to have had mm -hmm. his first vision and had never put distrust into the Bible and all that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. We'd be I don't know what life would be like without that, or at least for me personally, and you too, I guess, not being members of the church. But that's what, uh, I mean, it should have, should never have been it, this gospel right. of Joseph Smith that came forward to seduce and, and deceive, deceive us right. all. Right. If yeah. it hadn't been for Joseph Smith, Brigham Young would have probably stayed a Methodist. Yeah. And I'd have probably ended up being raised in a Christian home. Back, in, back east somewhere, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> Oh, let me just uh, cover a couple of things. Uh, did you have some real heat during those 63 to 83 time frame? And I'm probably since then, of course. Um, yes, we've always had a lot of um, pressure yeah. uh, against us. Uh, access to documents, um, because the church kept a tight lid on 
access to what you could see at the church office. And so it was a matter of finding resources, finding libraries that had documents you could see. Wow. Uh, we had a situation where we went down to BYU to a lecture and to hear Nibley, and uh, we didn't have enough money to pay for the lecture when we got down there. So we went to the library and did research uh, that day and were able to get a lot of photocopies of early Mormon documents. Wow. Uh, we did research at the Oriental Museum, uh, Oriental Institute in Chicago, the University of Chicago's Department on Egyptology uh, through those years where we were looking at Book of Abraham material. Hmm. So um, we utilized whatever libraries <laughs> and films and photos that we could come across to help in so. getting to the original story of Mormonism. We felt if we could show people how it had been changed yeah. and redirected, recreated, <laughs> uh, changing the, the doctrines and revelations that we could then encourage people to go back to the Bible. The Bible was here first. Right. And so you don't judge the Bible by what Joseph Smith said. You judge Joseph Smith's words by what the Bible says. It was here all along, you know, <laughs> so that's the benchmark for that's testing. Right. And the Mormons have you do it all backwards. Have you... Um, Oh, I'm kind of, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to edit that out. Uh, oh, gee. Sorry about that. Sorry, Cassidy. Um, oh, if people knew, I mean, you covered all this material. If people mm -hmm. really knew what you, what you know and mm -hmm. I think some of what I know now, do you think they would stay in the church? How How can they... You've probably met people that know all of this that you've shared, yes. and yet they can say the church is true. How is that possible? <laughs> I talk to different Mormons that are aware of problems in Mormon history, and they speak in terms of some lofty spirituality that they, the Mormon gospel to them is true. Uh, we all pre-existed. There's no bad news in the system. Uh, we all are going to go to heaven, and some of us will get better than the others, but it's all going to be good. It's going to be better than what we have here. And they love that. And so people will say to me, well, I know there's problems with Joseph Smith, but I just love the gospel. Yeah. And then I ask them, well, could you define gospel? Because I'm not sure what you're meaning when you say <laughs> you love the gospel. Yeah. And what they mean, what is it? Yeah. this Mormon plan of eternal progression. Yeah. They love this idea that God's a nice old guy that lets everybody in. It's just comfortable, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, and they're yeah. afraid to stray away from that or right. even think about it. Uh, let me ask you, I know this is kind of an interesting little list of things, and however you feel about each one of them, you don't need to elaborate tons, but just mm -hmm. for a little bit. This, your initial uh, mimeograph, uh, mm -hmm. microfilming and all was mm -hmm. 1963. Mm -hmm. About 1965, I understand that this is when Chessman found the first vision mm -hmm. that was written in Joseph Smith's own handwriting. What did you think when that came out? Okay, we had heard rumors that there was an earlier account of the first vision that uh, was different than the one now, and that it didn't have the Father in it. Right. And um, we weren't sure what all the differences were, but that seemed to be one that people were aware of. It was so that was kind of out there, but no yes. one had ever seen it. But we, yeah. Oh. And uh, so, Chess, uh, BYU man, 
Paul Chessman, uh, did a thesis on the vision accounts of Joseph Smith. And in the appendix of this thesis, he has what we now know as the 1832 account of the first vision, where it's just Jesus. And it's in Joseph Smith's own handwriting, right. isn't it? We yeah. didn't know that at the time, oh. but uh, we thought it was a scribe. But oh. Chessman was one that brought that out in his thesis, but that was kept on close wraps. And a student <laughs> at BYU got access to that thesis and sent us a copy. So uh, that was the first we knew of it. And then we made it public, and then it became a big stir. And then there was all kind of articles from BYU guys and us and different ones arguing back and forth of what uh, the real importance of the first vision. Does it matter if the dates are different? Yeah. Does it matter if the reason he went into the grove is different? Does it matter if what he's supposed to be told is different? And doesn't matter if it's not God, if it's just Jesus. <laughs> uh, and then we found out he had uh, told other people accounts where he just said it was angels. Yeah. And so then the Mormon scholars all, all start scrambling to say, well, an angel can be God. And just because Joseph didn't say the father was there doesn't mean he wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, and they start doing all of this... Um, Fogging. Stretching, trying <laughs> to figure, yeah. yeah. To some way make it, so it doesn't matter if there's different accounts. They all say he had some kind of vision sometime, somewhere, for some reason. <laughs> and what does it matter? <laughs> and, and it started the whole thing. So that's all you have to resolve. Well, I thought the funny part of that was the fact that, I've, and I've heard this as an excuse, is that, well, it, he was only 14 at the time, 15, and that in 1832, he maybe forgotten a little bit or it was, wasn't fresh on his mind so that when he wrote it, he didn't include all the information. But then six years later or so, when he writes the version we have in the Pearl of Great Price, then all of a sudden it's clear, it's dramatic, it's uh, different totally from this 1832. Right. Plus the Satan experience. He doesn't mention that right, in the, 1832. The dark Satan. force. Right. <clears throat> well... We could see that this was crucial to the foundation claims of Mormonism. Yeah, uh, it's impactful. You, you listen to the conference talks today, and they all say, without the first vision, uh, there's yeah. no beginning of Mormonism. I mean, yeah. Hinckley has been famous for saying statements right. like that, yeah. that Mormonism uh, stands and falls, falls on yeah. the first vision. Yeah. But historically, there are just uh, insurmountable problems of making it be the vision that they have in their Pearl of Great Price today. Yeah. Well, I don't sense you as a person that would glee over these continual stumbles of the church, but there's a few more here. Yeah. <laughs> when the blacks were given the priesthood yes. in 60, 67, uh, 68. 78. 78, you're right, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, was <clears throat> that just another one of those, okay. <laughs> well, we had published books in the 60s exposing the problems of the church's racial position. And in the 60s, we had been on record printing that Joseph had given priesthood to a couple of blacks at back that time, the, yeah, back then. Yeah. And uh, the church wasn't admitting that. Now they, they say it like, oh, well, of course, we had blacks that held the priesthood in Joseph Smith's day. And I said, well, in point, no one ever admitted it in the 60s. <laughs> so uh, we had written on this for years that there was a problem with their whole position on race, besides it being offensive, just yes. in the sense of racism, 
but but the telling of the story right. was uh, there was problems with when they stopped giving priesthood to blacks, when they started giving it again, why they gave it, why they shouldn't have given it. Uh, <laughs> is Brigham Young right or wrong when he said they wouldn't get it till the millennium? Yeah, for, forever or ever, it yeah. seemed like, yeah. How about uh, when this temple ceremony changed in <laughs> 1990? Did that one strike you, I guess? You... Oh, right. Okay, <laughs> Gerald and I published a... Uh, a copy of the Mormon Temple Ritual. Let me think of the date. It'd be in uh, 1969, 1970 time frame. Wow. We put out a, um, an edition of the Temple Ritual as it was done at that time. Mm. And the, the way that came about is that we had been interviewing former Mormons to try to get an accurate uh, transcript. We had a 1930 transcript that we were trying to update. Mm. And so one fellow that no longer believed Mormonism but had a temple recommend and had been a temple worker heard about it and he said, well, I hear you're working on this. I want to make sure you do it right. So he <laughs> helped us oh. to get <clears throat> uh, that account, and that we print that in our Mormonism Shadow Reality book, and it's the temple ritual as it was done in 1970, as I recall. Now, let me interrupt. Have you actually looked at the masonry, uh, yes. like a mason website, and uh, identified how close and similar yes. they are? Isn't it amazing? Yes, and so it was. It used masonic. to be much closer. Well, right, without the change, yeah. Before they made all the changes, the handshakes, the passwords, the symbols. It's the uh, <clears throat> If a person went through the temple before 1990, yeah. uh, they went through the signs of the penalties right. where they drew the thumb across the throat and across the heart and across the bowels. That's Masonic. Yes. And the uh, the whole idea of tokens and signs and all of these all things. The, the sun, moon, and stars. Yeah. The compass and square on the garments. It's all Masonic. And so you kind we of had discussed written, that. We had written on this for years. <laughs> and um, other people came out of Mormonism and wrote on it. Other people came out and were giving lectures around on the temple ritual. And yeah. So uh, the church couldn't keep the secret anymore. So people were being offended by the ritual. Mm. Uh, in the ritual, they also had a, well, as you would probably know, they used to have a minister yeah. in the ceremony that made a pact with the devil to teach false doctrine, right. to try to lead Adam and Eve astray. Right. Well, new converts, I think, to Mormonism were becoming offended by going through the temple and seeing ministers mocked. People it, that they had admired. admired. And, yeah. yeah. And uh, the minister was portrayed as doing it for money, uh, <laughs> right. making a deal with the devil for pay. And I think a lot of people were really offended by this. The church realized they needed to make some changes. So, soft tone that a little yeah. bit. So in 1990, <clears throat> 1990, they made major revisions. Yeah. And they took out the, devil, uh, the uh, minister's part. They still have the devil, but they took out the minister's part. Um, they took out the blood oaths. Yeah. And they took out the embrace on the five points of fellowship, which is Masonic. Which is right there in Mason. Right, the anything. Lower, yeah. yeah, just just Google five <laughs> points of fellowship, uh, which the Mormon used to do at the veil as symbolic of entering into God's presence. Right, right. And so they quit doing that. Well, of course, that raises the question, why was it ever there? <laughs> if it wasn't required. If it was true before, how <laughs> yeah. could it be changed? Yeah, how uh, could they leave it out? It's just 
it's it's humorous really when you can step back and look at it I, right it, it's sad in a and sad humorous. sort of way yes. yeah what did you think when the, the the dead sea scrolls now they came out in 1947 but not more more detail didn't come out until later that was certainly a support for the bible wasn't right. it right yes as people became more and more aware of uh, manuscript evidences and uh, things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and other manuscripts for the New Testament that yeah. started surfacing. Scholars saw that there were um, backup material for the Bible. Now I know the atheists out there would say, oh that's not true, they're all late copies. But we have the New Testament manuscripts back to 200 AD and, and some parts before that. Yeah. So this is before there was any Catholic Church to corrupt the text. To take the plain and precious things out. Right. Yeah. So before there was any one control over the Christian church, you have copies of the different books of the New Testament scattered around the Mediterranean. And as they've been collected up through the years, there has not been an effort to change the doctrine. Right. And there's no, no major changes to our current New no, Testament. No, nothing that would affect any major tenet of yeah. Christianity and the Old Testament with the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have this amazing chance of looking at how yeah. accurate the preservation of the text was. Yeah. Th that after all those thousands of years, they can look now and see, oh, Isaiah reads like a read at the time of Christ. That's right. And, and just... I've said it several times, many times, that Joseph Smith is really the only one I'm aware of, at least in the Mormon church for sure, that ever put doubt in our mind about the Bible, just by that little eighth article of faith. If right. he would have not said that, then Mormons would uh, revere the Bible as much as uh, anyone, right. except the fact that it contains doctrine the church doesn't believe in. But <laughs> Well, there were... In Joseph Smith's day, there were a few other versions of the Bible, but the main one everyone used was the King James. King James that was yeah. the standard. Of course, the Catholics had their version. Yeah. Uh, but the Christian community all saw the value of the Bible, that it was the arbitrator of differences, that whatever you believe or I believe, yeah. we got to be able to find it in the Bible. And then Joseph's religion comes along and plants in our minds that... There has been this corruption of the text. You can't trust it anymore. You need a living prophet to bring you the word of God today that hasn't been tampered with. Listen to me. <laughs> yes, and, and that was one of the problems I had when I first started studying Mormonism, was I'd been raised on this idea. The Bible wasn't reliable, but we had a living prophet that got the stuff direct from God, you know? <laughs> and then I start reading the first printings of Joseph's Revelations, and they don't read like the current Doctrine of Covenants. No. Well, and then what, they've been added to, to yeah, What change. support do you have then for Scripture yeah. if the prophet changes his writings? So yeah. it, then Gerald and I had to go back and do a lot of study on why do we believe the Bible? Why don't we believe Joseph Smith's Scriptures? Yeah. Uh, are the problems equal? And we found they weren't. <laughs> that there were reasons to believe the Bible. There were no reasons to believe to Joseph believe Smith. And Joseph Smith. Well, that might bring us to an interesting topic I know you know a lot about, and that's the Mark Hoffman incidents. <laughs> now, where he was uh, pr presuming to pr provide the church with old uh, church uh, documents and so on. Tell us a little bit about that. Because okay. you guys were very skeptical, which actually was in reverse, because you were saying to the church, no, this... Even yeah. though this might attack you, we don't believe it's true. Anyway, go ahead. 
in the early 1980s, and I couldn't tell you exactly when I first met Mark Hoffman, but he was a young Mormon man raised in a devout Mormon home, went on a mission to England, and according to him, by the time he went to his mission, he had quit believing Mormonism. Was that on a personal basis, or did everyone know that? No, he kept a secret. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. But he personally had doubts about God, religion, or anything. Anyways, he goes on this mission to England, and he starts going to different used bookstores and finding old Mormon books that were published in England and stuff. Yeah. He starts sending them home to sell to get money for his mission. So this is how he kind of gets into the book business. Yeah. Well, he comes back from his mission, and he's going to, I think it was Weber State, uh, and he came down uh, a few times and talked with me. He bought our Mormonism Shadow Reality book. And he starts studying all these problems of Mormonism. Well, I'm not thinking anything of this because he's just this young man that's studying Mormonism, you know? Yeah. And, and so his name didn't even stand out in my mind. It was just a student yeah. that's studying. And uh, so, but, but he's developing this reputation as finding rare books. This has been the audio edition of The Ex-Mormon Files. The Ex-Mormon Files is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City. For information about this program, including past and current video episodes, please visit exmormonfiles.com. From there, you can also download audio episodes of this program. If you have an Ex-Mormon story you would like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Please write us at contact at exmormonfiles.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.